like they changed the font and the typography. I haven't actually seen one meaningful difference between this one and the I'm getting one. tired of them. Like they changed the way my icons look on my iPhone like once every six months it feels like. And now it's to the point where like every single icon for every app I have is like a blue square and I can't tell the difference between any of them. That's because stark low polygon uh, geometry tests well in uh, Tim Cook's office, as far as okay. I can tell. <laughs> um, well, well, in that, in that geographical well, area. Yeah. Everybody has adopted it, and yeah. everybody's little app, you know, icon looks exactly the same. Yeah, they're all flat typography. No, it's, um, no, actually, Google is partially responsible for that. They, um, th- I think they were the first ones that did. They turned a perfectly lovely Chrome icon into something that people could draw which is not, it's not drawable. You can't, you need artistic talent to draw 120 degree angles so saying, with don't your lines. Give, don't give people the idea that they can do this. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, but they ruined the perfectly good Chrome <laughs> icon to make it flat. And like, they even like punch down the colors. Like it just looks bad now. Um, but that's a weird thing to complain about. Although I guess not because it, um, it ties into the primary coloration, which we're going to get into here. And it ties into why Helvetica was a movie that we picked. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it definitely showed up there. Why? So what did we pick this week, David? Oh, what did we pick this week? Hello. Or two weeks ago. Everybody. This is the Machination Log for January 27th, 2017. Nicole? Hello. Ryan? Uh, back again. I'm sitting down right now. That's all I can <laughs> right. so Maybe I'll stand which, up when I get the energy back. Which, which for those of you who uh, haven't been in this room, and I can't blame you, uh, most of the time we actually do stand. Yeah. David, we stand doing everything except actively watching movies in this house for the most part. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really own chairs until someone else moved in that had them. And it's then fine I just, as long as you have mats, which you have now. Yeah, I have those. I go from standing up to lying down. I'm 100 or 0%. Yeah, no middle, no middle ground. No compromise. That's, Sitting is the new heroin. <laughs> it's, it's my ass. That's absolutely true. It's the oldest heroin there is. That's uh, why the Fijians didn't do that shit. <sighs> History. Primal. Jensen's movie crew time! Oh my god! It's been a long time. Um, I was on vacation, but we'll talk about that later. We are here to discuss a Wes Anderson film, finally. And I picked, uh, maybe not the one that most people would pick if they wanted to, you know, have a conversation about Wes Anderson. I picked Fantastic Mr. Fox, a stop-motion, not-really-kids movie, even though it's based on a kid's book. Uh, the kid's book, Roll Dahl, wrote back whenever the hell he was alive, illustrated by Quentin Blake. Uh, the illustrations in this book are worth buying the book for. They really are. Um, they, um, it, there's, it feels a little modern artistic to some extent, not in like the cubist way, but in the way that it's like, it looks like my kid could have drawn this. And, uh, that's, that's perfect. They got spunk. 1970 was when the <clears throat> Fantastic Mr. Fox was published, but you should know him from his other works like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Big Friendly Giant. And uh, James and the Giant Peach and no, all, all the other commercialized, you know, variations uh, of his stories. But just about every children's movie, about like 40% of the children's movies have been based on Rolls Dahl 
rolled yeah, he's all a good writer. Last, uh, yeah. last 10 years. Yeah, Norton Juster didn't seem to have taken off after the Phantom Tollbooth. So did they ever make a Phantom Tollbooth movie? Not that I am aware of. Because it would probably be really hard to convey anything in that book. You'd have to do it animated or stop motion, I think. Now, the real key is, is would you have a narrator or not? Exactly. Like, you'd that'd need, be the key. You would probably there. need one. You would almost certainly require one. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about <laughs> a thoroughly unfaithful adaptation <laughs> of a Roald Dahl book. Um, Wes Anderson, a lot of you are probably familiar with him, if not his work. Uh, we're going to be discussing every facet of Wes Anderson here, um, the ways in which it does and does not comply in this particular movie, which is part of the reason I wanted to pick this one in the same way that we picked Jackie Brown. Well, and you also said that this is kind of like your, you know, uh, like this is your favorite one, like in terms of like not what you think is the best, but the one that you enjoy watching the most. Maybe I mean it's weird because I don't. Okay, well if, I thought if, you felt that way two no, weeks no, 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 ago. No, no, I, I, it was specifically it's specifically with the Fox character because I have a preternatural bias here. But the um, in terms of there being animal characters in this movie, but I would actually put this movie. Um, I watched Royal Tenenbaums again just for the purpose of comparison, because that one's, Royal Tannenbaum's is weird because it's most people's like first experience with him. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it ranking it is odd. It's a little, it's a little suspect, but after watching that, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox may be the le my least favorite of his movies that I have watched. Okay. Um, except Moonrise Kingdom, which doesn't count. Um, <laughs> but we'll I get mean, this movie, it's not Zisu. Oh, no. It is certainly not Zisu. I, I do think Zisu's probably the best movie that came out between 2000 and 2010. Like, I would rank, rank that as, like, the top movie. That's a fight you that, could have. Of that decade. Oh, man. It'd be my personal favorite Damn, out yeah. of that That doesn't reach my top three for, for Wes Anderson, actually. That's, uh, that's funny. I Lay like, those on us. So I got, uh, for my, my favorite Wes Anderson still, to this day, is The Royal Tenenbaums. I fucking love that movie. Um, I gotta say, David, as well. Um, uh, I know it's the most recent one, but, uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, like every time I saw that movie, it, it, ra it rose up. See over that another, one, I haven't watched well. it enough for it to grow because, oh, um, it's I, a warm blanket. I, uh, I, but see Darjeeling was like that for me. Like I wasn't thrilled with it when I first saw it, but over the course of the last, you know, like seven years, I've watched it a handful of times and then mm -hmm. it keeps getting keeps getting better and better for me. Mm -hmm. I haven't I haven't had that time to like steep in Grand Budapest. Man, it's um yeah, the warm blanket is right. That yeah. that it gets it wins me over each time and um I like the I like the Ray Fines and I love the Zero as well. And um it's uh it's got a surprising amount of warmth to the film that I find and then the 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 interplay between the events of the past and the it's, it's, well, it's yeah. fucking great. Fucking great. Yeah. And then so my third is probably Rushmore because I think that movie too has a solid emotional core to it that I think comes out in the kind of like like it, the movie's got energy to me uh, in the way that Zisu um, has See, energy as well. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way you were describing the other two, but I feel that about Zisu first right. and then Ten and Bombs. Like, <laughs> right. like so it's like one of those. It's in everyone's <coughs> top, but everyone's got like a different preference for which one they they find the best. Well, and it's, it, I think it's 
part of what and, is... Well, part of it's like emotional tooting, too. And there's like the moments, it's like finding which moments like work for you out of his films, you know, because there's... Well, that's, that's the magic of the movies being so relationship-driven. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the reason why I like Darjeeling Limited is that of his movies, I mean, all of his movies are about tension in relationships that goes almost entirely unresolved. Um, this <laughs> And has affected a huge portion of who the person is up to that point. Like Darjeeling Limited, more than most of his other movies, forces the characters to make their way through more of that chemistry than usual because there just aren't that many people in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, which well, is why I like it. Well, and two, that he's... because. Like, I mean, Wes Anderson, I think, is probably one of the more unique voices of this generation of, of this generation of filmmakers, and it's and it's when you start like dissecting out, you know, where where this unique, you know, what makes a, what makes it so Wes Andersony, um, is that it is both it is it is the writing, it is the the mise en scène, it's it's the cinematography decisions, it's the art direction. Oh yeah, the art it's direction. The art, it's the it's the acting style. I mean, there is. It's the way the characters develop <clears throat> or or don't develop, like throughout the the yeah. movie. <laughs> it is it is. I think he's one of the. I think he's one of the more unique cinematic voices in that I, you know, he has a conception of a style and and an artistic sense about him that just is just different like it is just really worlds apart he has a very distinct aesthetic which i find very pleasing well and, and it reminds me too that there are you know a couple other american filmmakers and i'm going to just maybe talk about american cinema but like you know like a paul thomas anderson you know there's something that you know his films had that unique mark to them and while i think he's who's more a than, movie that we'd know him from um oh uh, there will be blood okay. uh the master boogie nights. yeah boogie nights um uh, inherent vices his most recent one um oh, missed opportunity he um but his films, I think, are a little bit more in the tradition of the cinema that they came from, uh, but yet still have unique style. But really, like, Wes Anderson kind of, like, just is, like, a little bit a departure, right? And um, His movies are stark in every possible way. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're an, uh, it, to call them an acquired taste is only to kind of signify the fact that they are not usual, right? Like, people, like there's not a lot of, like, well, popular some, te television to, or cinema that yeah, relates to Yeah, you have it. to really, like, you can't judge a Wes Anderson film you know the first time around like they're they're movies that they get better every time you watch them because you just can't take in everything the first time like you really have to steep and and like you know get a feel for all the details before you can like really start to enjoy them but that's that's what makes it weird that i mean i, I will stick by my my description of his style as being stark or strong because he uses i mean a lot of his hallmarks that he gets uh labeled with Primary colors. Mm -hmm. There's nothing terribly nuanced about primary colors. In fact, it's about as basic as you could be. Straight lines. He uses dead, flat camera angles and a lot of squares. Symmetry. There's a ton of symmetry. That's a lot of, of his Godard influence mm -hmm. from uh, Godard's mid-70s period. <laughs> He's got the... Um, his dialogue doesn't tend to be clever it tends to be very untactful, yes. in fact. Mm -hmm. um, most of his most endearing characters talk like no one is going to be listening to what they're saying. They talk like the whatever's on the front of their mind comes out unfiltered. Like, it's all strong stuff. Yeah. And even and then, like the uniform, the characters wear uniforms. The uniforms, like it's, it's really not that hard to follow the plot of a Wes Anderson film. It's just that it's presented to you in such a way that the audience is not allowed to feel smart for understanding what's going on. 
Um, and one of the best examples of this that I have transitioning to Fantastic Mr. Fox a little bit is that the premise of this movie or like almost the thesis of the main character of this movie is literally said by the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point when um, very near the end of the movie where um, Mr. Fox, who that's, that's his whole name. He's also called Foxy or uh, I think he has a couple of other specific nicknames. Maybe that's maybe one of the only points where <laughs> the book intersects with the movie <laughs> in a meaningful way is the names. Um, where he literally says, I think I have this thing where I need everybody to think I'm the greatest, the quote-unquote fantastic Mr. Fox. And if they aren't completely knocked out and dazzled and kind of intimidated by me, then I don't feel good about myself. Foxes traditionally like to court danger, hunt prey, and outsmart predators. And that's what I'm actually good at. I think at the end of the day, I'm just... I know. We're wild animals. <laughs> I guess we always were. And that's literally yeah. just a description of his character. Yes. Right? That's, as, yeah, as straight out as it could be. And I love the line after that, which I believe is when his wife looks at him and I goes, Felicity. I love you too. But I shouldn't have married you. <laughs> which is also very telling yeah. about her character because she's just laid her cards out on the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's weird because it doesn't, it, it there's there's so little specific cleverness to that it's just earnest but it's but yes. that's what i mean and but it's it's like it's endearing because it's so honest almost yeah. well, you and know we, and what once again that's what makes it so stark right if some if, like when you talk to most people you find that they are you know they are talking inspired by their feelings they're not really describing their feelings to you to a certain way right well, they're like, like yeah. reacting emotionally it's the talking's like reactionary to the emotions, not necessarily a description of mm-hmm. how they're feeling. Well, and they they have, um, there's, there's the premise in writing, and it also applies in orating, that you have to both be aware of um, who you are talking to. You have to know your audience, but you also need to know your relationship to the audience. Yes. And the way that you write is informed by both of those things at the same time. And in Wes Anderson films, who people are talking to matters much less than it does in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, People are willing to say things to each other that are much less respective of class, which is also another thing that comes into Wes Anderson films a lot, um, where I assume there's some degree of privileged background in Wes Anderson's uh, childhood. He's white. Yeah, he's white. He's got an abnormally large dollop of whiteness in his past then. Yeah. Uh, because... <laughs> And An extra the, scoop of whiteness. There, there are a lot. Uh, I mean, there are, there are plenty of rich people yeah. in film, but that's generally used to empower characters. In Wes Anderson films, there, there are just a lot of people for whom money is no concern, or even if it is a concern, they still act like entitled rich people. Um, and that allows them... It, I can I can see that as being an excuse for the way a lot of them talk. Well, but it's it's um, I think part of what is so unique about it is that so many of the characters when they're, they're they are driven by either desi- by their desires, obsessions, or emotions, and there's just a kind of frankness in the way that they speak about these things that I think once again is stark is a little jarring. Like it's and it's even more so when you compare it to the idea that you know uh, that. So oh, okay, in, in Zisu, it's about a um, you know Steve Zisu a, a, uh, has a son that he never really claims or, or claims responsibility for. Well, it's, and yeah, his son finds him back 
And he's like, well, why didn't you ever come look and for me? And he's also on kind of like the down... He's also like kind of on the, As they're the, all the grown twilight up of his life too. Like his career's moving downhill. He's getting older. So he's got like kind of a downward trajectory. Yes. At that time when like this happens. But more, okay. So, but when his son who comes back to him as an adult and mm -hmm. finally meets up with the, the older Zisu, he's like, why didn't you ever come look for me? And Zisu just says, because I hated fathers and I never wanted, wanted to, to be, be one. one. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's fucking so, so clear and simple. And normally, right, you are so concerned about wanting to protect someone no, right, no from your own emotion. Pleasing. No, this is the thing though, but yeah. that's what's so honest about it, right? I know. It is the fact that like I'm I'm not going to obfuscate my emotions based on how they will affect you. I'm going to explain my emotions to you and you know what if this if it, you know like I will also accept your emotional reaction to this. Like yeah. there's an amazing amount of of honesty and that's what's so unfortunate is that that would be stark to us like Jesus Christ like he just said that and well, meant it and it was like that's the whole point was that he fucking meant it like shouldn't we be saying things that we mean i can fight my own fights no you can't it's it's one of the reasons why wes anderson's uh female characters tend to be some of the best out there is yeah. that um very the, uncharacteristic the, for the, a female yeah character. that's yeah. extraordinarily uncharacteristic for liberating for for yeah it's practically mm -hmm. liberating for a woman to talk without specifically addressing their audience or rewrapping what they're talking about for the purpose. Yeah. Um, and as a result, all of his devil may care, just, uh, what's her name? Uh, Maya Angelou. Who's the, who's the character who plays the, uh, she's a wife in two of the movies. Oh, uh, Angelica Houston. I don't know where I got the other name. My, I, just, I was, I, I was curious. Was. I was like, it's how? A, it's the it's general a, Ange idea that we had there. Angelica yeah, Angelou. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Maya Angelou is a black poet. I know why the Cage Bird sings. Yes. It's, it's just like it's totally her, different. Like her character simply classic. does not exist in most movies. Yeah. No. I mean, she has because it's not that she just has a doesn't care attitude. It's that it feels like she's been holding on to it. Her whole life, she's just sighing in every scene. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and it's not—it's not that she's a complete cynic. Like she's allowed to care about things. She cries in the movies, mm -hmm. but that she also doesn't put up with bullshit from people. Yeah. Um, in a really refreshing way, honestly. No, and and his female characters are are really great. I mean, it's it's kind of. Um, as I've been more attuned to this, especially <laughs> since I've been to college, you know, like, like we opened up a little feminism. You've got a girlfriend. Yeah, I got a girlfriend, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, but like the thing, like, how old are you? Yeah, yeah so, it's been a while, you know, like it's been a slow maturation to understand the uh, the opposing sex here. But the idea that, um, you know, as you start to kind of look at female characters in particular, and as someone who's like tried to like dabble in creative ideas anyway in writing fiction, um. It's strange how much you tend to impose a kind of acculturated idea of of womanhood, and when you like have to write as another gender, um, it you know you your own inherent biases are kind of really laid bare, yeah. in you, especially if you're able to reflect on it. And it's very interesting in the sense that you know that the female characters, and unfortunately, this film is not the uh, the best representation of this because the story is not. Focused not, on, but on, Mrs. On a, Fox, you know, for all her faults for staying with Mr. Fox, she still is honest to him. Like I said, after he lays his bones out, she's like, "Yeah, I no. should have never married." You. Yeah, I meant, I meant merely in the sense that but, she, but she isn't the, like the, a primary character. Yeah, exactly. In this. The main, the the, the most but she's prominent still, female but character. But she does not, follow. Give us a lot of but she does still kind of follow the, you know, the, she. 
clearly stark yeah. emotion. Uh, once again, not 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 tailoring her emotions to a male when she speaks to him, having her own fucking views and opinions and stating them starkly with and and plainly and honesty, honestly, right? And it's just very interesting that you know a lot of times when this idea of like emotional independence usually rises up in women, like from you know from the classic kind of male interpretation, this is like kind of like you know oh my god, you know like what's a, what is a woman doing and speaking like this? to to anybody more or less and it becomes very cool because um there's so little that's i find inherently gendered right it's not that the story kind of has this like inherent sense of you know these are the roles you should be playing and this is how you should be feeling uh in essence what i'm trying to say is is i find that wes anderson characters are individuals and yeah. that this is something that is also i think rather stark is that you know, each character has their motivations, and these aren't particularly gendered. Um, they do have some class issues, and once again, these issues are brought in. But I find it just fascinating to a large degree that there isn't this, you know, gendered idea of what these people are. If they're liberated sexually, man or woman. If mm -hmm. they're conservative sexually, man or woman. These things aren't played into yeah. a kind of typecast from there. And I, I, I find that fun. I find that it, interesting. Well, and they don't feel rebellious across the board for acting this way. This mm -hmm. is this is the weird thing about Mrs. Fox in particular for this movie is that she does speak her mind and she will stand up to her husband. But she stands up for her husband on behalf of uh, on behalf of a maternal instinct. She's mm -hmm. not she's not trying to fight the system. She is actually a relatively strong tenant of the system. Yeah. And she it, it, but she isn't restrained the way that makes a lot of these characters tend to be very boring in mm -hmm. movies. Um and that's a really nice balance and I love to the, be able well, to strike. Yeah, and during the whole movie Mrs. Fox is painting these gorgeous landscapes that have like natural disasters going on in them. Like yeah. that's lightning like, and storms and shit oh, like and, that. Oh, and like tornadoes yeah. coming up like that's her that's her release. Yeah, she's got the <laughs> passive aggression. It's all there. Yeah. All the emotions. All the stark emotions are on display. But that it's also, I think, more indicative of a reflective character as well, right? Like she has this little bit to her and I don't I don't find her to be particularly weak in the story. You know, like that doesn't No, like I mean she knows of, what's going on around her. Yeah, she exactly. knows kind of what place she's you know. But she's, she's trying she's can, trying yeah. to not rock the boat. She mm -hmm. it, she obviously is reluctant to have to have these confrontations with people. Well, but then she's different than Mr. Fox. I mean, this is the kind of oh, thing. Oh, she's very too. different yeah, than like Mr. This, Fox. Uh, you know, like, but once again, on her own terms, I don't think that it's, it's, it's so much of, you know, you know, like any sort of like odd, like subversive, uh, 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 submissiveness to her character at all. Like, I think that she, the life she wants is the no, life she's she got fucking a, She's wants. got a very strong role. Yeah, the life she, but the life she wants is the life she wants. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, Abs yeah, okay. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that it is in some way subservient to the family doesn't, doesn't denigrate that. People choose that. And when yeah. you choose it, that's the more important well, because thing her, chosen for Well, you. because, you know, she is married to Mr. Fox. And Mr. Fox is a very charismatic, somewhat sociopathic personality. <laughs> and you really can't have a relationship with two people like that. As we'll find out. Yes. Or maybe we won't. I don't know. It's a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> we'll have to get to the end to find out whether or not this all comes together. And, uh, of course, it doesn't. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway, so Fantastic Mr. Fox opens not quite like the book, and that theme will continue. Um, they, uh, the Fox family finds out that they have a kid. Uh, one kid, not four, I'd as like are to, in the book. Because of my restrictive read on this movie, I'd like to point out that 
our very first conversation between they're not Mr. or Mrs. Fox yet. They will be. Is every time Mrs. Fox suggests something, he manipulates her into going with the direction that he wants to go. He does that twice in the opening dialogue. That's like kick off right from the beginning. So we oh, definitely yeah. know who fucking gets what they want in this relationship. Oh, no doubt. Well, and he is a master manipulator. M- Mr. Fox presents the options and then chooses. One. Yes. He does both sides of the equation uh, <laughs> and he does them with a call sign, which is. <laughs> Another thing that uh, most people just don't, you know, it doesn't come up all that often. No. Just having your own, like, specific engineered hand gesture for indicating when you're getting your way. Um, but Mr. Fox has one. And, yes, he uh, does. It's a very stylish thing for him to do. We take the shortcut or the scenic route? Let's take the shortcut. Oh, but the scenic route is so much prettier. Okay, let's take the scenic route. Great. It's actually slightly quicker anyway. <laughs> It is it is interesting to wonder why the Fantastic Mr. Fox narcissism angle exists in this movie outside of it just being a Wes Anderson film. See, I, I blame it on being a Noah Baumbach film who helped Wes Anderson uh, write the story because if you look at Noah Baumbach's scripts, there tends to be uh, a family dynamic which consists of a father that is manipulative, slightly sociopathic, you know, like the mom that puts up with but doesn't quite know how to deal with the situation, and then you get an offspring that is confused and weird because they live in this weird dynamic. Um, what other films has here. he been part okay, of? Okay, so uh, he helped Okay, he helped Wes Anderson, I think, write the Royal Tenenbaums or Zisu? Maybe both of them. Okay. Zisu uh, and Darjeeling, I think, aren't they? Darjeeling was Roman Coppola. Roman he Coppola, didn't do okay. Darjeeling. But the movie where he really displays this is one he wrote on his and directed on his own, which is called The Squid and the Whale, in which there is, like, Jeff Daniels plays the really uh, manipulative dad, like Laura Linney's, like, the mom that doesn't know what to do anymore. And then, and then like, Eisenberg's the really awkward kid that you know, just does not fit in and is a total product of this disaster. So we've we've seen this before. Yeah, this dynamic is 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 has happened before with like these <laughs> these particular writers. Okay. Um but this is not the family dynamic at all in Mr. Fox the book. This is purely like subtext based on who is directing this movie. But it's the way in which it so completely sits on top of the book. I mean, in the book, there are four Fox kits. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife is absolutely thrilled with everything Mr. Fox does. And in some way, the book almost just feels like it happened in Mr. Fox's head. Um, yeah, everything just kind of like rolls. Like he doesn't he, get a lot of he doesn't get a lot of obstruction or anything. No, they <laughs> run into the Badgers for the purpose of like negotiating with, which he handles masterfully. By the way, uh, he does. I mean, he is truly a fantastic Mister Fox in the book, um, and that's certainly how he attempts to see himself. Yeah, that's how he wants to be perceived. <laughs> the thing is, Mister Fox in the movie is not necessarily perceived like that, even though we know that that's what he wants to be perceived by all the animals. He's a climber on the precipice of catastrophe. Yes. Over and over and over again. So that's what I'm, I think maybe as we get into this story is trying to like, what the fuck makes this guy fantastic? I mean, is it his own, right? Is is the idea of being fantastic, the solipsistic drive to like want to be fantastic, right? Is he fantastic? Is, 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 what makes him fantastic a projection of his own mind? 
or does he actually accomplish things in this story, right? So this is what I maybe want to like go as we go through maybe a little bit of the plot. Like, what is is this fantastic? What makes this fucking fantastic? And then the next scene is uh, like most of the, actually most of the scenes sort of try to answer that question. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, yeah, I want to elaborate on this. And then the, the next the next one is the uh, is once uh, Mr. Mr. Fox have settled down, uh, Mr. Fox immediately. Uh, who is who is now out of the hunting business? His yes. his romantic days are behind him mm-hmm. of living of off stealing the land. squabs. Yeah, of living off other people's land, stealing squabs and chickens and all those kinds of things. Um, they've settled down. They've had a mostly dysfunctional child, and uh, they live <laughs> a, and they live in a hole. And the first the first real action that Mr. Fox takes in this hole is to say, "I want to live somewhere else." He's like, "I don't want to live in a hole. It makes me feel poor." And his wife goes, "You know what? You are poor." Yeah. And he's like, I don't care. Come say, come so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he also writes an incredibly vapid, uh, vapid article for uh, the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is his other job is to speak the way that he attempts to orate all the time, which is not informative or really all that great. But, just a smooth talker, like a salesman almost. But it's a way to express himself. So he's got that. Uh, they then immediately they buy a tree, even though they which bought. he can't afford. Yeah, his lawyer advises against. Yes, his lawyer Bill Murray the Badger <laughs> in a in a in a ridiculously toned down way. I mean, it's pretty funny the interaction in this. You're like, is this an animated film? Like, <laughs> like is this the best use of animation that's going on here right now? The scene where the, the number of scenes that they take to do things that are too human for cinema and yeah. do them with animals, like this <laughs> lawyer scene in an am- in an animation film. Yeah. At that, yeah, no. I mean, yeah. the only thing that makes this completely not dull and boring is the fact that it is animated. Yeah. You know, like. I just, I just I well, but then you had like Royal Tenenbaums. You had Henry, who was always talking about like tax solutions. But still, I mean, there was nothing as like toned down as like it was seeming the 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 minute and a half of like bookkeeping that we're fucking exposed to in this film. You know, like don't buy this tree, Foxy. You're borrowing at nine and a half with no fixed rate. Plus, moving into the most dangerous neighborhood in the country for someone of your type of species. You're exaggerating, Badger. <laughs> I'm sugar coating it, man. <laughs> and that that is one By of the a badger and a fox. <laughs> yeah, I know. See, that's what I mean. It's like can we show something really mundane and boring? You're like, fuck man, it's a badger and a fox. Like, let's try this out. They have to do accounting let's, too. Yeah, let's throw some filing going on while we're at it. Like, it's, it and that that is one of the things. It's it is experimental in its own way and entertaining to a point, but it it does seem to either go on for too long or not be quite enough to carry the movie. Um, there are a lot of scenes like this. Like yeah. when they when they renovate the tree, um, it's just a bunch of squirrels doing housework, basically. <laughs> like moving furniture and painting walls. Like and scaffolding. It's, and it's, human, all too human. Yeah, like. and it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's got the preciousness that Wes Anderson is famous for, but it's, it, it's not quite enough by itself. So after Mr. Fox buys this house... <laughs> house though because he doesn't like being in the hole it makes him feel poor our next scene wife's like so how do you like you got your big tree house now does this make you happy and uh he's like uh not really mm-hmm. like yeah. he's a little he's on the fence about this now too even though resolved he, yeah no everything every interaction <laughs> with the family uh gives you nothing <laughs> you get to the end the dialogue is good the fights are good and no one resolves anything. No. Um, 
so they still have a bratty child live somewhere that they've got the cousin who moves in who's like the athletic protege and makes the awkward child ash even feel even worse about himself well but it should be noted too that that the part of ash is the child right yeah yeah part of ash's um insecurity yeah is that he is he is not like his father right because like what we find is is that Right, as a- Ash is apparently in, in Animal High School or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And like, so... Co-head, co-head all species. Yeah, it's co- well, it's integrated. I mean, that's nice, you know? Like, it's a, it's a good model. They're progressive. Yeah, so, so like... But the thing is, is, um, right, this, this, the cousin that comes to live, right, does tend to mirror some of the aspects of what, ma- of, of what makes... Um, now, Mr. Fox supposedly fantastic, right? Like this is part yes. of the thing. Even though, that... even though he's cousin from the mom's side, he's not actually related to Mr. Fox. Yeah, well, it, it, fantastic. Apparently, not a genetic quality. Yeah. Okay. No. Just, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get that. But he out does there. have some of those qualities. And Ash, the Mr. Fox's actual son, is very jealous of this because the you know because Mr. Fox also takes to Christopherson's the cousin's you know athletic and. Uh, charismatic prowess too way more than he does to his son who is constantly begging for attention yeah but it but once i mean in a kind of callous way yeah, in which just, you know your the sociopathic tendencies of yeah. mr fox are exposed <laughs> i mean christopher his, mr fox's interest in christopherson appears to be primarily because or associated with his usefulness and the various yes, schemes and plots because he is a manipulator yeah that that mr fox can that concocts right like mm-hmm. this is part of what is uh part, okay so yeah well, he sees himself as a narcissist that doesn't need to hold up a mirror. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Bask, yeah, yeah, Basking in reflected glory. All these things are available in Christophe. I see myself in the adoration of those around <laughs> yes, me. Yeah, right? exactly. That's my mirror. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, he is cheering himself on yeah. uh, as Christopherson uh, plays whack bat and uh, does, <laughs> does dives and meditates. He's better he's looking. <laughs> Clearly better looking. Plus he knows karate. Um, all right, so I'm diagramming out here the kind of like the, the, the fantasticness of this. Um, okay, so I think there's a clear sense that Mr. Fox has a sense of ambition to him, right? Like that the, the will to power, uh, the Nietzschean aspects, if you will, <laughs> of Mr. Fox on full display here, right? I mean, the guy has a kind of ambition, right? But I think also um, tied to a certain sense of restlessness, right? Like he is either in, I mean, this is either a tale he's of he's a, a wild animal. Yes, exactly. But this is At also heart. tied to maybe a type of like midlife crisis that he's going through. Um, I don't, age is a reference that goes on through this thing I as don't well. Know, like, but yeah. I don't think anything would be good enough for Mr. Fox, though. That's what I think about his, I think his personality type is that like, like there's no cap to it. Like somebody will always be doing better than him and he will always like feel less of himself and want that adoration. Like it well, doesn't matter how far he climbs Well, but the that's ladder. one of the benefits of solipsism is that no one has to be doing better than you. You can just do better. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the magic of the ambition in a vacuum is that you you just consider what you've done shit and you keep moving. Well, it's like gym people. They're there, they're there for themselves. They're not there to impress <laughs> other people. I'm going to swole myself up. Yeah. Right? Like, swole don't need anything, like, outside forcing you to do it. Yeah. You either have the desire to swole yeah. or you don't. Like exactly. So, like, so here's the thing. Um, so this ambition, this... Re- uh, I do have to say, though, is there is there an element of this that, like, you know, Mr. Fox has been kind of, like, tamped down, right? Because the, the initial part of the movie is they go out, they they steal shit, they get caught, 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mr. Fox makes a deal, right? If we get out of this, I'll fucking reform. I'll be a good person. I'll be I'll be the humble. He's got to get married and have yeah, a kid yeah, gonna, and get gonna, a respectable gonna, job gonna, and yeah. stop stealing for a living. So, yeah. So, uh, theoretically, there's a period where Mr. Fox is fantastic, gets caught as a period where he is no longer fantastic. And now much the, the pressure has been building. And right. And there's this explosion of fantasticness. That will loose itself on him and his family and his neighborhood. I mean, am I wrong in kind of seeing and, that? And it's made manifest by a uh, – the tree is located across from three farmers who mm-hmm. own very, very large farms. And it becomes quite obvious by the framing of some of the shots that this is most of the reason he wants to buy this tree. Yes. It's um, because he wants to get and, in on those farmhouses. And that Not very the much – old days. Yeah, that very much fits the midlife crisis model yeah. of being re-inspired by something that – did used to inspire him. Right. I mean, he was clearly happier back then. Well, no, and and I think that I it, there's always been the sense that like midlife crises are like bad things, and I've never really viewed them as such. You know, as someone who might be approaching one in the near future, who's recently you purchased own a, red, a red sports a, a, a red car, red sports car. But the idea that you know that there is this. Like, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, like, having many midlife crises in the, Lou in the coming. Lou says he's already had, like, three or four. Yeah, no, and these are good things, I right? I too. Excellent. All yeah. right, Nicole, when, whenever you're ready, I you really know, need like. I to work on this, don't So, I? like, but. I'll see what my therapist says. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, is, is the moon aligned? Is this, I gotta check my astrological chart to see if I'm timing my, moonlight, my midlife crises right. But, like, like, I don't think they're necessarily a bad thing, right? But, um. Okay, so the ambition... Getting the, the band back yeah, together. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The ambition, the restlessness. Um, now, as we move into the next part of the plot, I'd like to uh, put another sense on which Mr. Fan... Uh, the, the fox is Mr. Fa- the fa- Mr. Fantastic is fox-like. Mr. Fox is fantastic. Uh, and that is, of course, related to the sense that he is a man of action. Right? Indeed. Okay, good. So how is this... He's how, a man with a plan. Yes, exactly, right? He is a man of action. And if he needs you for his plan, he will manipulate you into buying into his plan. So, Mr. Even Fox... Even if he doesn't know you. Mr. Yes. Fox has a plan A plan of action. What is this plan of action as it relates last, to the three farms? One last deal, man. He's gonna yeah. clean all three of them out. What the cuss? Where'd this giant fence come from? We had a master plan. So these farms, uh, Bunsen, Bur- Burns, and Bombac, what are they? It's <laughs> no... Bunsen, Boggus, and Bean. Yeah, Bumson, Bob- August Bunsen Bean. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, that right. does appear in both the movie and the book. Uh, Pretty consistently. Yeah, Bombeck did not uh, rewrite that. Good. So uh, that part. Also, um, oh no, I guess we're about to get to that. So yeah, uh, the heist proceeds with Kylie the Super and... Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox as they infiltrate the facility, which, I mean, he still got it. Yeah. He very much still well. got it. Also, uh, Fantastic uh, Mr. Fox is played by George Clooney. Yes. Which, if they needed someone to play the human version, he'd be perfect. Right. Yeah, he like, they picked it. the right human for yeah. that job. <laughs> um, no, Clooney, ha- George Clooney has this really awesome, you know, like, like his his demeanor, looks, and voice. All seem to have been like pre-programmed into him, you know. Like if you're going to design a human that affect this kind of like easy breezy, charmy, cool. Like yeah. I don't think you could do more than to package them all into the silver fox that yeah. is George Clooney as a human. 
No, so yeah. He he is this guy. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you need a point of reference, if you haven't seen the movie already, which you should have twice, the, um, the oh, uh, put a, put some you know fox ears on a on picture of George Clooney. Yeah, that's basically what yeah. I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> put I don't know. He probably wears jackets like that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Fox Cor- I'm sure what his stylist advises no. it. <laughs> Corduroy. Advises it. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently Wes Anderson uh, told. The uh, the costumers that he wanted uh, he wanted that corduroy so that it looked like he was Parisian and at the time the people who were designing the models were in France and like no one dresses like this in France. <laughs> no, it's an idea of French, right? Yeah. The, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If they were French, they would dress like but, this, but this in is, France. This is where I think I in my head. I, yeah. I, I think I mentioned this before we started recording. Um, the the people who did the stop motion animation for this movie and Wes Anderson disagreed on a lot, which was partially because Wes Anderson was on a different continent while filming yeah, this Yeah, so he basically directed this movie over his iPhone. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, and um, <laughs> it's funny because in a lot of the interviews, it sounds like people are being very diplomatic in uh, brushing off Wes Anderson's understanding of this entire craft mm-hmm. as, um, let's call it, inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, though, to be fair... How many people are calling stop motion animation studios? Like, I have a feeling there's like five people who yeah, make yeah. these calls. Don't don't give me your high handedness, stop motion animators. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. No, you make you put out one phone movie every other hook. year. Yeah. So, like, because it takes that long to fucking <laughs> make know. it. Yeah. So, I mean, I should just say though, corduroy is an underappreciated fabric, right? It's, and, it's, and it is used well in his other films, like The Bomber has the nice corduroy. Well, corduroy, of yeah. course, cloth of the king. I mean, in, <laughs> in French, I mean, that's not, you know, this is something that I think they've maybe overlooked in their uh, approach over the last several uh, decades, but... Um, I love everything Anderson does aesthetically, yeah, so no. don't don't let what I'm saying fool you. I'll let a bunch of French people tell yeah. you otherwise. It's yeah. all about the uniforms. Yeah, Dude, no. I painted. I have I have a gold stripe straight line living room because of Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Symmetry, goddammit. Yes, quite fetching. Um, but the heist is uh, the heist is committed, and of course that was just part one of the heist. Exactly, so. they get done, and the possums. Lo- I love the possum because he just kind of plays Kylie. along. Kylie, he's good. Every t- every once in a while, his eyes glaze over. You know, it's it's great. Kylie is the um, Kylie is one of the, the the ways in which the class part of Anderson seems to stand out because Kylie actually is a responsible human being. Which is why he's so lowly in the societies yeah. that Anderson creates is that he doesn't he doesn't like willingly flaunt convention. Mm-hmm. Like he even had like there's a point where um, the uh, credit card. Yeah, Mr. Fox asks Kylie for a credit card so they can get into a door. How good you are just being available for a titanium card. How the cuss should you qualify for this? I pay my bills on time. I've always had good credit. <laughs> like, that's, like that's a character trait of Kylie is that he's a responsible guy. <laughs> like, oh, that's good stuff. But, um, but yeah, so Kylie tags along because he's not going to say no. Yeah, he's well, a nice but guy. Kylie thinks there's one last thing. And Mr. Fox is like, no, we've got to hit all three farms. This is like a three-day operation, man. And Mr. Fox does not wait a second to do this. No. Like, the... Literally, the scene after Mrs. Fox sees the curiously tagged chicken. Yeah, he in tries her... to put a sale tag so that he can fool Mrs. Fox into thinking he got these uh, swabs Legit, yeah, legitly. These yeah, and when it looks like Mrs. Fox buys his excuse, he then immediately goes back and steals more <laughs> stuff from the next farm. And then he goes and steals stuff from the next farm. 
Um, and then he causes some trouble. Yeah, and that that doesn't go unpaid. Mrs. Fox. Mrs. Fox. Or is she is she fantastic? With um, her? no, Nothing. she is the appraiser of <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> however, um, she she gives a really really good line in the middle of all of this tomfoolery. I think it's during the second meet. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. Which is, which is like the perfect, it's, it's almost Iranian in mm. its, <laughs> in its adherence to form. It's got a really big other thing going on right. where it's the, um, you know, uh, the Iranian, I forget what the, who the head of, is Ayatollah. it a president? Is it a president? Ayatollah. It is? Yeah, the Ayatollah. Supreme um, leader. Says, there are no homosexuals in Iran. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the president. Ahmadinejad said yeah. that, yes. There are no, and it's, it falls into this exact category where on some level, everyone knows that's not true, mm -hmm. but in order to maintain the peace, this is the narrative we're following. Right. <laughs> Just this idea that literally within the sentence, she is suggesting two things that are impossible, not, it's impossible yeah. for her conditions to be met. Yes. Um, <laughs> but for the aesthetic and cultural um, integrity of the family, this is what we have to believe, and she is capable of espousing that in a very Wes Andersonian way, mm -hmm. uh, which I very much enjoy. Absolutely. Um, but uh, that doesn't stop him, so... Um, <laughs> We're off to the third heist. Yeah. <laughs> so they're off to the third heist. Um, they get back, and uh, this is when uh, the shooting happens, and this may be the most accurate scene to the book yeah, in the entire close. movie. Um, the farmers all hide out in the bushes, and uh, Mr. Fox gets his tail shot off, mm -hmm. um, and we could go into the philosophy behind Fantastic Mr. Fox losing his tail, except that it's in the Roald Dahl books, so all the subtext should be in the book. Um, they didn't need to add any if they... Uh, but it's, you know, it's like a blow to his masculinity that, you know, he is now tailless. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the movie promptly uh, re-enters the realm of not being based on the book again. Right. Um... There's a lot of digging. Oh yeah. There's a lot yeah, so of they, tractors. Yeah, they, they he has bunkered himself in his treehouse, right? And then the Well they the, can't get out. Yeah, the farmers, yeah, the farmers have come have come to attack him. And uh and yeah, there's a lot of digging. Yeah, there's okay. a lot of digging for eh, probably 10, 15 minutes. Uh there's a couple of conversations that happen during this time, but for the most part, it's just them digging to silly music. Well basically what ends up happening is, you know, our our three farmers <laughs> are going to get their revenge against Mr. Fox for stealing. And this ends up affecting all the creatures that live in this area around Mr. Fox because yeah. they are now, you know, the uh, civi civilian casualties <laughs> yeah, of the war the farmers have waged against the Fox family. Mm -hmm. Which includes the uh, badgers from before as well as some rabbits. It's a relatively small. Yeah, it's like a weasel community. in there. Yeah, not all that many. But that um, I do have to say one of the interesting things about like the animation style and also about like the characters is that uh, you know these animals are anthropomorphized is the right phrase yes. yeah they're they're human they they wear clothing and things like that but then there are like select moments when like their animalness becomes like starkly fucking apparent and I remember the first like well the fir first the first one is, is when he eats yeah when he eats he's like oh, I think we're gonna do this. 
<laughs> this is fucking manic animal, you know, like satisfying that primal or whenever, urge. Or whenever Mr. Fox is put on the spot, he just smiles and shows his teeth like he's going to yes. bite the shit out of you. So that, <laughs> and so we're also mirrored here in the sense that these digging th- scenes are like frantically animated and like the animal like all of like, four just yeah, like, like digging. I'm an animal digging. It's very good, very good. Quite enjoyable, I would say. Uh, so they find their way into uh, space with no food or water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from here, I think we can basically open this until, um... Yeah, it just becomes basically a little action flick, you know, because they keep, they keep having to steal from the farmers because they got to feed everybody, but they're stuck underground because Mr. Fox has basically fucked up everyone's good time and everyone's All on the, the run now. All the farmers are together. All the farmers are banded together. There's some excellent use of large machinery. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, and from <laughs> from here, I don't some I don't, action sequences. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that any particular scene stands out yeah. at this point. There's um, there's well, not until there we... are still more plans, and it mostly it mostly follows the tropes that we've already been talking about. Mr. Fox hatches the plans. Ash finally gets in mm-hmm. and hatches his own plan to steal back his dad's tail. Mm-hmm. Um, there is which... one great scene with the farmers. There's a scene of I like every scene with the farmers. Oh, it's so good to be to come. Lovely to see you. You're both looking splendid. How have you been, Walter? In good health, I trust. Uh, Nathan, all's well? Uh... Wonderful. Any fox problems? Are you joking? It's horrible. We're miserable. He's laughing at it's us. It's humiliating. We're furious. I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, well, there, a particular good one is they're in Bean's trailer, and he's the one leading this, uh, you know, this 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 army against the fox. And when he finds out that the animals have crawled up out of the ground and into one of the farmhouses and mm-hmm. s- and continue to steal things mm-hmm. after all this effort they've had. A significant infrastructural security risk, yes. I would yes. think. Yeah. He, um... He basically just destroys this entire trailer. But here's the thing. You know, we're in an animated, you know, claymation thing. This trailer has, like, two walls that are just lined with Post-it notes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And aesthetically, it's absolutely amazing. But a lot of straight lines, like straight lines, and then little Post-it notes that go across, like, both sides. And just the manner in which, like, they, they give him this news... He doesn't say anything. He just looks, and then he just destroys the whole trailer. Yeah. It's, it's a really good little. <laughs> it's enjoyable. It's, it's a fun. very enjoyable yeah. little scene, and it has that great like Wes Anderson aesthetic about it the entire time. Mm-hmm. Well, and it lets it lets him be violent in a linear way, which he can't do in real life. And the the one the one part of it in particular that feels this way is. Um, he stomps outside of the trailer and his like handyman supervisor Petey mm-hmm. is fixing his bike <laughs> yeah. and he picks up his bike <laughs> and throws it and the bike doesn't arc at all. The bike just goes straight. Yeah. <laughs> Petey's a pretty good character. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, uh... Petey writes a stupid song. Um, yeah, no, this, uh, this is the part more than anything. If the movie had been more like the first half in the second half, I think I would have liked it a lot more. Um, but the second half tries to be more of a kid's movie. It, and yeah. when I watched this in the theater the first time, there were three families in the audience, and two of them walked out yes. before the second act even started. Which, I, don't, I definitely can understand why. It, well, no, it yeah. makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's a Wes Anderson film up to that point, and most adults... Don't Can really barely understand make it yeah, really. or Wes tolerate Anderson Wes film. Anderson. Yeah. Um, but by the time it becomes about antics and you know they're like ch- being chased by beagles and they're doing like the more the more active side of the yeah. movie, 
that doesn't jive with the first half of the no, movie. No, it really mm-hmm. doesn't. It feels starts feeling like fluffy at that point. It's weird. Like things start working, and, and also that stuff's not in the book as much. There's not as much of the end antic type stuff the, in the book. Like the movie's they don't, basically the book's basically over now. Yeah, yeah, the book's over, and then they're doing like this whole siege in the actual city, and they're you know Christofferson was kidnapped. That was all just added because the book did end before that, and then there's like continued plans of action and and stuff like that that you know like I said it does kind of feel a little fluffy once you get to that point after what yeah. you've already seen so uh, the book ends in a sense that like this does, does fox clearly win right yeah. the book ends with them like hanging with 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 the 3b farmers or uh, the 3b guys just kind of like hanging out over a it hole kind of, waiting and waiting well, it kind waiting. of ends yeah in a stalemate it's, basically it's got a very esopian fake okay. yeah. feel where the farmers are still trying to exact revenge even though the fox has gotten away with everything gotcha okay like that's that's where it ends and the gotcha. fox didn't necessarily win i mean he is still stuck in the ground kind of in the sewer and mm-hmm. stuff you know, but they there is like a kind of just an established stalemate at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But a stalemate that the fox is winning. Yeah, gotcha. like it's it, it's it, the fox has gotten what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's again the movie then proceeds after that. And there's a bunch. It, it's not that it's bad. It's that it stops being the movie I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, with a cup with with a couple of exceptions, I guess maybe the um Fox, the, the the wolf scene at the end. There's the wolf scene at the end. Uh, before that happens, there is the. I mean, I guess we could address the wolf scene. Uh, Mr. Fox has a phobia of wolves, mm-hmm. and uh, that seems easy enough to explain, uh, given that he can't. Outfight a wolf. Like a wolf is an actually intimidating. Well, it should be said too that they're on a fucking. He's driving a scooter. When he sees the wolf yeah. when in his suit, but the wolf up on this on, the, on this ridge or this mountain. How wild the wolf! Yes, because that's the thing. The yeah. wolf yes. is not anthropomorphized. The yeah. wolf is an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very much so. And the wolf is a big, imposing predator. It's, it's actually li- neat looking. It's one of the better looking, oh, yeah. looking parts. It, of the yeah. Film. Yeah. It is very cool. It's it's got a Burton esque is the wrong term now since Burton has completely. Failed to recapture any of this no magic. It's Frank and That's for goddamn yeah. sure. Um, but no, it's got the, yeah, it's got yeah. the lank going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, he gives him the he gives him the fist, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 the power the fist. Power yeah. fist. Yeah. Like salutes the wolfness in him in himself as well, right? <laughs> or tries to no, and it, it it manifests, oh. and then and then the movie ends in a almost weirdly saccharine way for a Wes Anderson film. No, the the other scene I wanted to mention was uh, they run back into Rat. Whose name is, of course, Rat. Yes. yes. Uh, the bean security guy who has come to abduct Ash. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a little, they have like a fight scene that is not all that animated. It's mostly just silhouettes being cast, uh, or it's silhouetted shadows being cast. And uh, there's different positions. They, and then the rat, for some reason, gets electrocuted and is dead. Um, his, last, uh, his last dying words are basically um, The boy's locked. In an apple crate on top of a gun locker in the attic of Bean Annex. Would you have told me if I didn't kill you first? Never. Because the rat, the rat, and Mr. Fox clearly have one of the stronger relationships that he has anywhere. It's mm-hmm. clear that they were friends or at least rivals somewhere in their right, past. Yeah. You've aged badly, rat. You're getting a little long in the tooth yourself, partner. They both adhere to this romance of... It's a very masculine romance mm-hmm. that they both live in, Rat. It's like a thieves' code. 
Yeah, it's uh, rat dresses cool, talks cool, mm-hmm. has a knife. Yeah, yeah, um, has his own little uh, idiosyncratic yeah, it, it, yeah, calling yeah, card. Has, yeah, yeah, yeah. He snaps. Yeah, like they have they have this thing, and the fact that. It, it, it's one of those scenes where if it was not in an animated film, in the middle of this, it, it, the fluff has already started happening. Uh, if it wasn't in the middle of these two scenes, it's basically Mr. Fox staring at a version of who he could have been. It was, yeah. It's a very there but for the grace of God moment. Right. Here you are, Rat. A beaker of beans, finest secret cider. Zach. Melted gold. He redeemed himself. Redemption? Sure. But in the end, he's just another dead rat in the garbage pail behind a Chinese restaurant. Which then ends immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they throw him in the river and uh, he's gone. Yeah. But um, <laughs> buried at sea. Yeah. <laughs> buried um, at sewer. Has a, anyway. Yeah, something like that. Um... But no, I don't know what else. I don't know what else yeah, I necessarily then, want to talk and, about. Yeah, that's weird. And the end is kind of weird and saccharine. And I think that's why. Uh, I don't know if I had mentioned this already. I was. I was actually kind of amazed at how well this was received critically. And I feel like maybe people get distracted by kind of like the saccharine ending. And you're like, oh, that was fun and cute. But I see like see all the dark character flaws in everybody, and I can't get past them when I watch this. It's all right. I mean, uh, like, no, it's still, I, I enjoy the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. I just, yeah. Oh. And I like, I like it visually. I like, like, the effect when they're, like, when the foxes are glowing, and all of a sudden they look like resin, like, yeah. fox lights, as opposed to, like, with hair and stuff. So it's like, you know, like, visually, it's it's cute. Oh, it's full of on-site gags. Yeah. Everyone, uh, there's no swearing, and instead they just say cuss. cuss. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene, there's a scene in the background of one of the cities where someone has uh, graffitied cuss on a wall, <laughs> which is pretty good. <laughs> I like, I like when you know when a character dies, their eyes like automatically x out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like so. There's, there's well, a and lot that's of cute- that's differentiated from the six point star of them being knocked out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Or the the space out, which is the spiral, which yeah. is what Kylie always gets mm-hmm. when Mr. Fox is blathering at him and he checks out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, also it's, Mr. Fox never catches on to the fact that he does that when he's talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fox keeps thinking he's like just in a weird state, mm-hmm. and he's he doesn't have like the self awareness to realize that he's boring Kylie. Yeah. His role in yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell. So, I mean, overall, though, so I think what's also interesting is, of course, that we are going to revisit this type of, of filmmaking because what's Anderson's next film is, in fact, another stop motion animation film. Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. Yeah. And I think this is. Um, I hope it's better than that Pets movie. That Pets movie wasn't too bad. I was thinking. Uh, it was uh, pretty generic. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so this, so we got this new one coming out, and I mean, this is something that'll take a while to go. We haven't had a Wes Anderson movie, movie since Budapest Grand Hotel. Budapest. Yeah, Grand Budapest. So yeah. we'll have to see what happens. This will be interesting. Yes. As always, as always, I mean, once again, I might talk bad or just you know like this, but I'm going to you know I'll be I'll, I'll be oh, I'll, well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be, be watching. first yeah I'll be first week in, in watching yeah, this one. I mean, I saw how many times did I see that stupid. Moonrise Kingdom in the theater. <laughs> yes, at least like, twice or three times. Right? I, three or four times at least. Man, oh man. No, no, it hasn't hit Tarantino levels. I've, I feel like there's... I, I didn't watch The Hateful Eight. I still haven't seen The Hateful Eight. Just don't. There's yeah, no I reason haven't. to waste your time. No, watch the first ten minutes. 
that's the only part that yeah. I missed. What's the prelude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Tarantino. I I understand. I really really like Tarantino's dialogue and a lot of his style, even if it is trashy pop in some ways. I do really like it. Um, the Hateful Eight felt like a premise that was built as an excuse. Wes Anderson still hasn't hit that for me. I thought Grand Budapest Hotel was actually going to be that um, to some extent just because the the architecture. Mm-hmm. It was his war movie. <laughs> yeah. Like that's – it could have been. Mm-hmm. It could have been, but it wasn't. So Wes Anderson – is still not in my nostalgic shit list. Yes, that's uh, correct. So yeah. I will continue to f- seek out Anderson as it comes out. Absolutely. No, um, so we kind of moving on? Are we, because I think we're supposed to have a, th- I, so we haven't talked about this, dear dear audience, so we're going to uh, maybe hit some schedule. So are we doing a theme for the next one? I thought we were doing guilty guilty pleasures. We can do we? that. Yeah. All right, and it's it's my pick, right? Wait, uh, I thought it was my pick. Yeah, I think it's her pick, isn't it? Your pick? What was oh, no, one? wait. I picked White Christmas, and then you picked this one. It is your pick. Oh, okay. okay. All right. All right, so, Ryan. Guilty pleasures. All right. So, Display your guilt. Yeah. <sighs> I've been thinking of a lot of good themes. I want to do an epics theme one, nice. one day. Okay. We might actually get around to watching Lawrence of Arabia. That's exactly yeah. it. Well, you know, like maybe, yeah. you know. Okay, so um, guilty pleasure. So what is a guilty pleasure? Well, Something it's a, you really enjoy. Yeah, something that I particularly enjoy. Something that I would watch... Even if it's on TNT, right? Even if it's filled with commercials, right? A two-hour movie extended to three and a half hours, I'll still sit down and watch it. Um, it's got, it, it can't be great, right? It can't be a really great film. Uh, because you are, in a sense, a little but bit it embarrassed. Should, it should still be, like, good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good, <laughs> but it's not great. So with this, I, I, thought, I thought long and hard about this, and I was really stuck between two movies, right? So I'll tell you the movie I didn't pick. Uh, because it's it's it, the reason I didn't pick it is because it's a little idiosyncratic, it's a little too particular to me, and I have a hard time explaining even why I like it. We already watched. That sounds like of fear. yeah. We already watched. No, it, but it was um it was Roman Polanski's The Ninth Gate. It was like going to give me my pick. That's a great bedtime movie. So like that was going to be my pick, <laughs> and like it's 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 awesome. It's got Johnny Depp. Franklin Jello. It's got like, you know, like Satanism. Yeah. It's got like antique book art deal or antique book dealing. It's got all kinds of great stuff in it. Alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah, I'm all I'm all for it. Um but then I was like, no, you know, like I didn't like I wanted to pick something that like kicked ass, you know, like because I love kick ass movies. Yeah. And and like I kind of get accused of not having like a lot of like, you know, particularly enjoyable cinematic experiences in the movies <laughs> I pick. So and trying to remedy all of these and hopefully will save myself in this one pick. One of the movies I always watch when it's on TV is called Tombstone. And that's what we're going to watch oh, for my guilty pleasure movie. Oh, man. Because... We should have picked this for Westerns. I... No, because this, this is the ultimate guilty pleasure <laughs> flick, man. It is, it is so good, so trashy, so ridiculous. It's milk chocolate. Oh. Yeah, it is. Oh, and it is one of my favorite... Guilty pleasure movie. So, guys, I would love to watch Tombstone with you. All right. All right, great. Okay. So, I'll be, I'll be your Huckleberry. Uh, that's right, you will. That's right. So, that's my, uh, I wanted to settle it on that. Uh, that was what I settled on in a moment of inspiration that hit me because I actually watched half of it at like two in the morning a week ago. And like I was with like, commercials. Oh, you know, yeah, exactly. With commercials, two in the morning. I watched the last hour and I knew exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tombstone. 
Have you seen Have you seen Tombstone? I have. Okay, I was yes. gonna say because I know Dad has sat and like rewound certain scenes of that like for half hours oh. in a row. Oh yeah. God, it's yeah. it's so <laughs> terribly good. God damn it! So I'm really looking forward to you guys. It'll be, it'll be my Tombstone. Sweet. All right, cool. I feel and like I had something us. else to say, but okay. I totally forgot. Oh, I just that. about guilty pleasures. I really want to see this last Resident Evil movie. Okay. Because <laughs> I love Mila as an action hero as far as guilty pleasures I would, go. I'd be willing to take it on a risk, right? Like, be like, <laughs> like movie crew on review, on the road kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, I'd be willing to do, I'd be willing to go with you and see it in the theater if you wanted to make it your pick. I'd, I'd be... I, I don't necessarily want to make it my pick. I was just saying that that's one of my guilty pleasures I'm thinking of indulging in is is maybe trying this last, yeah, so, I mean, this last this, Resident yeah, Evil. Doesn't need to be official movie crew, but uh, actually I haven't... I don't even know if I've seen all the Resident Evils. I don't know if I've seen all of them either, but I really like the first one. I mean, we, yeah, we haven't done a shit C-list action movie yet. No, so. yeah. no. Oh, good stuff. So. All right. All right, okay. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm good. It's good to <laughs> okay. be back. It's good to be back. We're back. We're back. It's a new year. I'm not <sighs> sitting down anymore. I don't know if you, don't know if you can <laughs> tell if you're listening by my voice. The energy. Ryan yeah. has been activated. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sitting this down encounter. anymore. Woo. All right, good to, good to be back, guys. Indeed. Nicole. David. Ryan. Not sitting. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone.